Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. This is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Today, I'm privileged to have Michael Schiff here with me. Michael, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do in 90 seconds? You got it. Sounds good. Omar, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, my name is Michael Schiff. I'm a real estate agent with Keller Williams Legacy here in Pikesville, Maryland, uh, just outside of Baltimore. And I'm a real estate agent. Uh, however, I built a, uh, a team over the past uh, five, six, seven years in the uh, Baltimore metro area. We have sold over 2,500 homes. Wow. Um, and do about $75 million of sales volume a year. I'm also a real estate investor and have done over 25 flips. I own 20 rental properties and currently a investor in a title company in addition to a staging business. Where did we meet? When did we meet? It was probably about a year or so ago, maybe 18 months ago um, at the Accelerant Roundtable lunch. That's we it. There. Yep, at Oregon Grill, if That's you remember. That's the place. And uh, we were having lunch and I, I remember um, hearing your name and seeing your name before um, but that was our first real introduction face-to-face. Brilliant. And one of the nice things was Amy and I hadn't seen each other for a long time. And it was just a reunion there. Yep. And uh, so tell me, today we wanted to get the wisdom outside of your head uh, to the listeners so they can get better, stronger, faster. When did you start in real estate? So I got started in real estate in 2004. The end of 2004, beginning of 2005. It was an amazing time to get started in real oh, estate yeah, back brilliant. then. Yep. And uh, for me, my journey was uh, I graduated uh, University of Florida in 2004, go Gators, and uh, worked for about three, four months um, over that summer before making the decision to get into real estate. And prior to that, I was uh, on a path of going to law school and took the year off to, um, to submit applications to law school. I took my LSATs uh, the, uh, the previous year, my senior year of college. And um, I kind of stumbled upon real estate. It wasn't what I uh, was going to college for initially, um, but the market was really hot and I was looking for something to, to kind of get me through um, that year off. And I found real estate October of 2004. And how old were you then? So I was 22. So that's young coming into the industry. Yep. How is that an advantage and how is that a detriment? <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was hungry to get in the workforce and um, you got to remember, like in 2004, there it was, it was before the recession, and um, graduating college, I had this like um, this entitlement. I guess I fall in that millennial cusp. Yes. So I had this entitlement of I should be making fifty thousand dollars, you know, right out of a four-year accredited u- university, and um, and I was willing to work for it. I, I was you know willing to work hard. Um, so when I got into real estate, it was it was an opportunity with no ceiling. Right? It was no ceiling. I could work as hard as I wanted to work, and I had control over how much income I can earn. The challenge was uh, getting um, retail buyers and sellers uh, to trust me and my mind, this you know, um, juvenile delinquent, let's say, from, right. uh, that was in my mind that I needed to break through, um, a 22-year-old um, kid uh, to trust them with one of their biggest purchases and investments of their lives. Nice. Yeah. 
And how much of that was real and how much was that of your own making? <laughs> um, at the time, it seemed 100% real. Like I had this story in right. my head. And uh, later to come find out, it was just that. It was just a story in my head. And um, it took me some time to overcome that. And through my journey, the initial parts, I gravitated to working with investors because investors were um, – it was more black and white, less emotion. If I was able to identify a great deal and bring them to it. Just it, the numbers. Just the numbers, right? So here's what you can buy it for. Here's how much work it approximately needs. Here's what it could sell for. And this is the potential profit. And I always liked the numbers part of it. And um, so I was able to you know, build some credibility and relationships with, uh, with investors. And as I did that, that also helped me overcome that, the, the challenge of um, that blockage of working yeah. with the uh, you know, traditional sellers and buyers. Math don't lie, baby. That, that's right. So do you still have relationships with any of those investors? I do. I do to this day. Yep. So all the relationships that we have, uh, if you nurture them, serve you for a lifetime. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and that, that it's not as easy as said. And um, as, as I'm sitting here um, sharing this, um, I'm just thinking about the learning lessons that I've had along the way of um, now I, I, I truly do value um, the importance of those relationships. And there's a period of time in my business where I was in this growth mode and uh, there was so much going on and, and I took my eye off the ball, if you will, of these key relationships. And um, you know, through that process, I learned the hard way of um, relationships that were, were working out really well that, um, that are, um, I don't have right now. And, um, and, and through that process, learned the importance of savoring uh, the other relationships. So in business, and relationships are so key. And um, so if I'm sharing just from an experience standpoint, um, when you have those great relationships, invest those times into those relationships, it pays dividends back. And it's really important. And I, I wish somebody would have just kicked me in the butt a little bit earlier so I could have um, done a better job with that, even a better job than I did. The irony is, had somebody kicked you in the butt back then, you would have gone like, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. And that is like the beauty of yep. learning as we go. Yep. So when did you go from a solo operator? Like what prompted you to say, I need to build a team? Sure. So it was um, about 2010, 2011. So about seven years into the business, I, uh, I picked my head up um, and realized that I was um, taking on way too much. We actually had a significant event that happened to me. Uh, during that time, this is uh, so post-recession as the economy is attempting to rebuild and the government is uh, facilitating that um, through grants and programs out there. And they made um, these $7,500 and $8,000 uh, grants available to first-time home buyers. Um, it was in 2010 um, that I was a single agent. I had 16 pending transactions going on at once and very little systems at that time. A lot of it was in my head or maybe an Excel spreadsheet. And I got to the point where I was completely um, double booked um, for my appointments, so much going on. I started having heart palpitations and uh, was rushed up to the ER um, in the middle of the day. Wow. Yeah. So we're talking about um, 28, um, 29 years old and with heart palpitations of like um, stress. Self-induced stress. Self-induced stress, and that's exactly what they said at the ER, and they said I needed to stop working. And, and when I said I have a, a strong work ethic, I mean, Umar, I was working um, from seven in the morning uh, to about two in the morning. Wow. Yeah, So and I was doing everything myself with a very little, little leverage at that time. So I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. So you're a young buck, you're doing exceptionally well, then the recession hits. I know you're Jewish, but it's a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> so Come to Moses. Come to Moses. There you go. Yeah. What was that like? Like, how did you mentally handle that 
uh, transition. Yes. Uh, was it panic? Was there, it's everything's okay? What was that like? Yeah, so during that time, um, I went through a transition in the brokerage that I was working at before, and I knew it was time to really hone uh, my professional skills. So it was in 2007, and I can almost remember the day um, exactly. Um, during that time, deals were falling apart at the table. We were going to settlement expecting deals to be funded and only to find out when the title attorney would walk back in the room and say, I'm sorry, but the uh, the bank's... Um, the math's changed. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the math's changed. The bank's not sending the wire. They actually filed for bankruptcy. So um, it was during those times where I realized that um, if I was going to make it, I was going to have to really hone my skills. And I affiliated with a, uh, a new brokerage and I clung on to two mentors, uh, Michael Yerman and Mark Whitman, um, that are... Um, real estate agent staples um, in the Baltimore area and um, really taught me the importance of um, professionalism and uh, marketing properties and presentation. Nice. Yeah. So um, that was the time where I realized that, you know, anybody in 2005 could sell a house. You put up, you know, sign in the yard, you had seven okay. offers over list price, and you look like a hero. Come 2007, 8, 9, 10, it wasn't like that. So it was really getting more purposeful with my um, with my skills and, and, and really learning my craft. So just to kind of show you my pain during the recession, my niece had sold her house in uh, Berlin, Maryland, had purchased a house in PA. They were in the moving truck driving to move in to do the closing, yep. and they got stopped. And they ended up moving to our house with husband, wife, three kids, two dogs. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> for about three months, which was perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, a, wow, you're like between houses and you get side railed. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's many stories like that. But what's brilliant is mm -hmm. every single one of us survived. So mm -hmm. when we think there's the end of the world, actually, no. Do not be the guy on the corner ringing a bell saying the world's going to end because right. it does not. Right. We survive. We move on. Right. No chicken little. You decided that you need to build a team. Mm -hmm. What did that look like, and uh, how many attempts does it did it take? Yep. What were the uh, successes, <laughs> and what were the learning lessons? Yeah. So, um, building a team, uh, my 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 eyes got open to that. I mean, before when I was attempting to leverage in my business, it was with photography, hiring an outside photographer, or. Um, or, or somebody that can help me with lockboxes and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't the administrative task or, you know, buyer's agents and, and, and so on. I attended a conference out in California, in Anaheim, California. It was a Keller Williams family reunion, which is um, KW's annual conference that they host. And I attended that in 2011, and they, you know, have these mega agents on stage, um, very similar to, uh, to to me and you sharing about their businesses. Nice. Uh, you know, they weren't wearing capes or anything like that. They were normal um, normal folks that, uh, you know, that followed figured them. it out. Yeah. They, yeah, figured it out. They followed a model. So they kept on speaking of this model of uh, building a real estate team. Um, Gary Keller wrote a book called, uh, which is the uh, founder of Keller Williams, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And we call it the Red Book. And uh, in there is a, is a system and model for building a, a real estate team. More, you know, simple, not easy. You know, it spells it out for you, but then following it and implementing it is, uh, is where the challenge uh, lays because uh, you're dealing with something called uh, humans. Yes. Right? So um, it, was, it was back then when I was sitting in, the, in that chair at the conference and I actually invited my wife out to, to attend the conference with me. It was over her birthday weekend. You'll get a kick about, out out of this because you know Jen. Yes. And um, so she was in sales at the time herself. 
um, working from home in her pajamas, exceeding her quotas, making you know good money a year. Show off. You're right. And uh, he, she sees me working 15, 16, 17 hour days and sucker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I somehow convinced her to attend this uh, conference out in, in Anaheim family reunion. And it was her birthday weekend, and the way I was able to convince her was by. Um, inviting her to go to Laguna Beach for her birthday, or not oh, even nice. inviting, like persuading her and, and telling her we're going to do this awesome birthday dinner for her at Laguna Beach. And she, you know, you can bribe her with a nice uh, vacation and, and nice dinner. So that worked out. And she's sitting there at the conference. And I swear, it's probably the first five or 10 minutes in the conference. She's like nudging me with her elbow, and I'm nudging her back. And we looked at each other and we, we said, we got to do this. Like, we got to do this. Like, this was the first time we got this information. I wish we were introduced to it earlier. You know, but it is what it is. And, and my my, uh, my message is that if there's a model within your business, um, try to find out what that is and, and who is doing it and follow it sooner rather than later. But seven years in, I had to go through the growing pains. And we followed the model and um, or we, we got introduced to it. And then the rest is implementation from there. Right. So talk to me about some of the... Uh, uh, as you were growing your team, some mm-hmm. of the hires you did. Yep. Tell me about uh, the ones that worked out really well <laughs> and changed the names. But tell me about some of the ones that uh, you screwed up and you hired people that weren't a right fit. Yes. So, you know, going into this, uh, didn't have experience with managing or leading other people. Mm-hmm. And this was a skill that I was um, went to military school prior to nice. University of Florida. Did not know that. Yep. So my um, my experience with leadership was in a very militant way. Yes. Um, it was like very uh, demerits. If you didn't do what you're supposed to do, drop and give me 20. And uh, I, <laughs> I say jump, you say how high. That's right. <laughs> and in military school, I actually rose through the ranks. Um, you can see uh, that was the battalion commander. I'm pointing at a uh, coffee mug in my nice. office here. Very nice. Yep. So you can see that. And, um, you know, it gave me a little sandbox to play with my, my leadership. And it came at a ranking system. And it was kind of, it had its pros and also its cons. So it was like learning other people. And what I learned was I needed to figure out like what worked for me. And I was trying to mirror and match other people's leadership styles and not being myself. Being authentic is so critically important. Yeah. yeah. And I learned that um, when I was attempting to mimic somebody else's um, leadership style, I'll give you an example. Entourage was on HBO at the time, mm-hmm. if you remember, remember that the show. show. And um, Ari Gold was Were you this. Turtle? I never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Turtle. I thought it was Ari Gold. So, that, that guy's uh, awesome. Yeah. So Ari, you know, portrayed this uh, this high-profile... Um, super agent. Super agent, right? And he was uh, very, um, you know, uh, aggressive with his assistant, uh, Lloyd. Demeaning, yeah. Demeaning, to, right, with Lloyd and... And, and and the way he did certain business and but in, in in on the show he was portrayed as this like you know really cool character and I was, and for a period of time I thought like I'm gonna be the Ari Gold of my team in my office and, nice. and, and, and demean to get what I want and wow did that not work out for me so um, that's where I learned like really being myself um, came into came into play and it didn't work to try to portray an Ari Gold type character that wasn't fitting to me. And it was through different courses. I, I had to... Um, and just let me yeah. stop you there for a second. What's kind of interesting is, for Ari Gold, yeah. he was being authentic to himself. Mm-hmm. That was probably Ari Gold, right? That was Ari Gold, yeah. and he was authentic. And you could tell that there was uh, uh, 
a foundation of caring, even though he was like a complete dick. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of sense that there. And, and what you learned, which I think a lot of us need to learn, is that I'm not Ari Gold, but if I can be myself and be authentic, that's where the power is. Right. Right. That's it. So um, I had to learn more about that. I learned about who I really am inside and go through some some exercises to figure that out, whether that was strength finders, um, personality and behavioral analysis, and really figure out my leadership style um, So and how I could work well with others. And like through that process, would have open expectation conversations with the new hire that I was bringing on of what my expectations were for them, what their expectations could be for me, how I win with them, and how they win with me. And um, when we were, you know, it, when when you when you're able to be transparent and, and kind of set that stage, it made for better hires than not. When I would skip the process, and that sometimes would happen, hiring out a need and um, despair to fill a position because I might have been doing it at the time and and wanted to find somebody and hired a lot of friends right. or family or people that I knew um, because we were cool and I thought they could certainly do the job. Um, I learned a lot of lessons in that as well. There's a company in town that will not be named, but I was talking to their VP and they were saying the owner hires a lot of friends to do stuff and it never, ever works out well. And they're like outside consultants and it's just like... It's difficult to hold them accountable. Um, And to see clearly as well. Exactly, right. So I did have, uh, with Jen coming on board and working with me, um, she ran more of the operations and she was able to create that space between me and, and that friend, but I would always refer a friend or a buddy to Jen to, to take through the process and wonder, uh, you know, and, and beg her to hire them, right. you know, give them a chance, give them an opportunity type thing. And um, it, you know, I, I if it was up to me, they would have been hired and it was probably for the better that the ones that didn't make it through didn't, didn't, right. Your team is going through a transition right now. You mm-hmm. went from a larger team to smaller and now you're building up again. Mm-hmm. What's your highest wish for this transition like what do you need to get right because you're much more uh, savvy you've got the bruises to prove you've learned a lot Mm -hmm. so how's your thought process changed as you rebuild the team so earlier this year we went for a um, for more of a growth model of bringing on uh, five agents a month and five new agents a month Um, so you know to the point of the first quarter of the year we're at 24 agents on the team and um, we grew so fast, and when as you as we were growing, we kind of went from team to group. Yeah. Right. So we lost that the culture of the team. We lost that um, uh, cohesiveness, and we started adding new personalities. And it takes time to build back up. So um, growth is great, and I want to encourage growth because I've also seen what happens when you don't grow. And if you're a three-person team and one person, are you growing or shrinking? Right. There is no status there's quo. No, right. There's no status quo in the middle. Um, when you're a three-person team and one person walks out of the door for whatever reason, um, relocates, um, gets pissed off, new opportunity, right. um, a third of your business walks essentially out walks door. out the door, right? So the purpose of growth is to kind of to, to hedge up, you know, from that and also to provide opportunity. When your mission and vision is clear enough and big enough, it will provide other opportunity um, for other people and then to be able to go execute on that. Um, but with this rapid gl- growth and our inability to keep up with it, to go back from group to team and, and keep that culture, um, you know, folks were kind of falling through the cracks. There was, uh, we were spread too thin with, uh, with business. Um, we didn't have the business, enough business to support 
the folks there and the folks that were coming in. And getting leads for that many people yeah. is a it was challenging yeah. task. Yeah, and so then you have folks that are not you know hitting their goals, so that's not a good feeling. And you know people around you are losing, and like that this past year was like an eye opener. Is like. Um, how can I feel like I'm winning if everybody around me um, more or less feels not. like it's yeah. not, right? And uh, so then I, you know, the growth for me is like, let's get everybody who's here winning, who who should be here. And we get it. There's folks that come in and out of the organization that uh, that may not be a good fit and they're just not going to win with you or, or some, maybe it is someone else. It's a different environment. Um, but, you know, those that should be winning, that are showing up, that are doing the activities, um, let's get them to a point where they are winning and let's, you know, continue to add growth from there. So we've we've slowed down some on adding um, five new team members a month to adding one new team member a month when we're ready for that growth to happen. Brilliant. Yep. So Michael, if you were talking to uh, agents that are doing $8 million, $10 million a year that are looking to start building a team, maybe they have an assistant now, mm -hmm. but they're looking to bring on a team, what would be the three pieces of advice you'd give them to be more successful at it or yep. increase their likelihood of success? Absolutely. So the first piece would be to to follow a model. And um, I'm going to talk about the Keller Williams model. And the, the cool thing is, is that you actually don't need to be a part of Keller Williams to follow to the model, it, yeah. to use it. So um, I feel like I can share that to all your listeners out there um, when in regards to real estate. Obviously, if you are with the Keller Williams organization and and, uh, and office. Stop dicking around, go yeah, read it, right, the red book. Right, exactly, you know, you'll, there'll be additional accountability there. Um, the second thing is to hire a coach. Um, uh, something we haven't talked about, um, uh, part of my process, I've had four or five different coaches mm -hmm. along the way. I had the pleasure of uh, coaching with you as well. And um, you know, early on that coaching relationship that I formed in 2011 brought the accountability into nice. my world that I needed. In the absence of that, um, I'm up, left up to my own devices. And then the third piece specifically for an individual between eight and $10 million is knowing the right people to hire first. And it is a lot of times we want to go out and get a buyer's agent because we have more leads than we can think of. So we think if we go out and get a buyer's agent first, that's going to solve our problems because we can focus on sellers and we can give our leads to a buyer, buyer's agent. Um, that's actually not the case. The first uh, hire that we want to make is an executive assistant, and we want to actually take a stand for that hire. And that hire should be the person that could ultimately run our world and run Brilliant. our organization. Because if we hire the right executive assistant, we may not need to make another hire after that. If we do right on the executive assistant position, they'll go out and they'll hire the transaction coordinator. They'll go out and hire the buyer's agents, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's you know, taking a stand for Actually, them. Actually, it sounds counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense. Yep. And most people would be seduced by a sexier hire and not hiring the right person. That could be the backbone of the organization. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's it's moving too fast or both leaning into the process. And when I say leaning in, you're in the interview and they can solve a need and, and you have that need and um, they sound really good and resume looks really good. And you're like, all right, you're hired versus taking your time go out to dinner with them, you know, go out to dinner with them and their spouse and really get to know them um, on a deep level. Ask yourself a question, like if you were to get stuck in an elevator f with them for, for, you know, an hour, could you bear it? Right. Right. Like those type of things, because you're going to be spending a lot of time with the person. Brilliant. Michael, uh, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thanks. Awesome. You got it. Thank you. Anytime. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. 
And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 